through the greatness of your power. Amen. Amen, amen. Luke chapter number 1, 76th verse starting. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. 
you get the glory you get the praise you get the praise you take the honor you take the honor thank you thank you Dear Heavenly Father, we come before your presence this morning, Lord God, just thanking and praising you one more time, Lord God, that we will, you've allowed us, Lord God, to come together to lift you up, Lord God, and we count it as an honor and a privilege, Lord God, this day, Lord God. Father, we ask that you would just have your way in this place, Lord God, meeting us at the point of our need as we know that you can and you will do, in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord God. Bless those that's underneath the sound of my voice as well as those that are on their way, Lord God. Father, we just ask that you would have your way in this place. Bless the shepherd of this house, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, those things that he speaks to you about in private, you said that you would reward him openly, Lord God, this day. And all those that is connected, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, we give you praise, glory, and honor, Lord God, for the things that you've done, doing, and going to manifest, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Lord God, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh 
a place to sleep. Thank you. To lay my head. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for keeping me safe. Thank you. Starting me on my way. Thank, thank you, Lord. Thank you. We want to say thank you. Can you say thank you? Thank you. Just say thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We don't deserve you. Thank you. So we say thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. One more time, say thank you. Thank you. Say thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Be glorified, be glorified. 
if you're breathing you have a thank you if you're here you have a thank you if you're here you have a thank you raise your thank you raise your thank you raise your thank you god you're worthy so raise our thank you thank you jesus
people do we have in this place today that just want to say thank you. Hallelujah. His spirit is moving in this place. And all we got to do is reach up and say thank you unto him. Hallelujah. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. This is the song that you sing after you say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. say, Lord, thank you for making me beautiful out of my darkness. Thank you for making me to the person that I need to be in order for the glory of you. How many people can say that? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. There's beauty in my brokenness. I got true love instead of pain. There's freedom though you captured me I got joy instead of mourning One more time There's free beauty in my brokenness I got true love instead of pain There's freedom though you captured me I got joy instead of mourning. Help me out. There's beauty. There's beauty in my brokenness. I got true love. I got true love instead of pain. There's freedom, freedom, yeah. There's freedom though you captured me. I got joy. I got joy instead of mourning. One more time, one more time. There's beauty. Beauty in my brokenness. I got true love. I got true love instead of pain. There's freedom, yeah. There's freedom though you captured me. I got joy. I got joy instead of more. So you give me joy. Down deep in my soul. Oh, yeah. Down deep in my soul, in my soul. Down deep in my soul. Oh yeah, see you give me joy. Yeah. Down deep in my soul, in my soul. Down deep in my soul, in my soul. Down deep in my soul. Say you give me joy. Down deep in my soul, in my problem. Down deep in my soul, situation. Down deep in my soul. You give me joy. You give me joy. Down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul, down deep in my soul. Say you give me joy. Down deep in my soul, in my soul. Down deep in my soul, in my soul. Down deep in my soul. Say you give me joy. Down deep in my soul, in my sin. Down deep in my soul, in my problem. Down deep in my soul. Say you give me joy. Down deep in my soul, in my sickness. Down deep in my soul, in my 
down deep in my soul you give me joy down deep in my soul in my soul down deep in my soul in my soul down deep in my soul you give me joy you give me joy down deep in my soul in my soul down deep in my soul in my soul down deep in my soul you want my down deep in my soul, my help. Down deep in my soul, in the shadow. Down deep in my soul, you give me joy. Yes, 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 yes. Down deep in my soul, in my soul. Down deep in my soul, in my soul. Down deep in my soul, I say you give me joy. Down deep in my soul, in my soul. Down deep in my soul, in my soul. Down deep in my soul. Hallelujah. 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 When problems come, what do you say? You give me joy. Don't even look at that. Because at the end, we win. Any problem, any situation. Tell them. I got joy in my soul. Where? Yeah. Down deep yeah. in my soul. Down to my feet. Hallelujah. 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 No devil. Hallelujah. No devil. No situation. No depression. No sickness. Hallelujah. People call things a failure, but no, Lord's going to use it to step onto the way. Hallelujah. Kids might be acting up, but guess what? You can tell them. Joy. They might not understand. Yep. Joy. Because you're speaking into their life. The number one thing, even last Sunday, what, what the city needs, what this world needs is joy. Amen. One thing I always ask people, hey, what do you need prayer for? And we will stand in agreement. In Jesus' name. Yes. Ask me who? Yes. Jesus. Right. Oh, is that why you got peace? Yes. yes. That is the reason why I have peace. The only peace. Yes. For the only true God. Yes. Not this manifest. Not other things. This is the reason why yes. you can walk through this life and say, you give me joy. No matter what situation, no matter what's on Facebook, no matter what whatever everybody else says. I've been reading Revelation and I've been getting happier and happier. I used to read it and get sad. But now, as I'm walking exactly where I'm supposed to be, I'm exactly where I need to be. And have the people in your life that will correct you. So you can be where you need to be yes. for your seeds, for your life, for anybody that's around you. So if anybody might, anybody might have an issue, you say, hey, let me pray for you. I don't know what it is, but I know a God that will give you peace yes. that passes all understanding. Yes, sir. I just want to put that in word. My bad. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone hadn't had an opportunity to give. You can come from wherever you are throughout the service, and there is a part of worship to give in your tithe and your offering.
Hallelujah. 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 The joy, the joy, 
the joy of the Lord is my strength. Oh, 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 oh. He is my hope. The joy, the joy, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Oh, 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 oh. Joy, 
the joy of the Lord is my strength. He's my strength. He's my strength. He's my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy. The joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Oh, oh, oh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Not Santa Claus, but you God. Hallelujah. You bring joy to the world. You bring joy to the world. You bring joy. 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 You bring joy to the world. Hallelujah. So we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for your joy. We thank you. For the season, we need your joy, your joy, your joy. You're worthy, God. Thank you for your joy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just give him praise. Hallelujah. If you know he's the reason for the season and for every day, hallelujah. Hallelujah. He tends to get overshadowed by the decorations, by the Santa Claus, by the presents. That don't matter. I can receive zero presents on Christmas and still have his joy. Hallelujah. I can have zero dollars in my account and still have his joy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I can be going through a situation at home, God, and I still have your joy. Hallelujah. 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 When you rely on anything else but him for your joy, it can be taken away. Because all things in this world shall pass away. Hallelujah. So don't put your joy, don't put your happiness in anything else but him. He is the only thing that will last forever and never fail you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Keep him at the forefront of your mind this Christmas. Hallelujah. He's the reason for the season. He brings joy to the world. Hallelujah. Not those presents, not those gifts, not the fancy things, the shiny objects that'll tarnish. But Jesus is the reason for the season. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's worthy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Stretch forth your hands as we bless the offering. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and thanking and praising you for this step was taken up for the purposes, Lord God, that you have given unto us to do, Lord God, this day. Father, we ask that you would bless those that had to give and those that didn't have to give, that they may be able to give upon the next appointed time. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Receive our pastor. Comes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, everybody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 
as everyone's getting situated, we thank the Lord for each and every one of you. We're excited about what God is doing. Amen. Amen. We just welcome everyone that is here, those that we haven't seen for a while. It's good to see. Amen. 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 Absent from sight, but never from heart. Know that we love you. It's good to see you, brother, again. Good to see you in the house. Amen. <clears throat> it was a beautiful song. I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm watching uh, Deacon Timothy and uh, I might have to call him minister in training, Jocelyn. Wow. I, don't, I don't know. I think I see a, an anointing breaking. Hallelujah. But it's good to see them moving forward in the Lord and allowing God to use them. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. We are so much more than the gifts that God has given us. Yes. And to see them move forward, and it just touches my heart. Amen. I'm just, I guess, having a dad moment. Amen. <laughs> just having a dad moment. But we thank the Lord. Uh, of course, we salute everyone that has joined via technology. We thank the Lord for each and every one of you. We want to, I know that this is Christmas, and I've preached Christmas sermons before, you know, merry ho-ho and happy ha-ha and all that, amen. But I've grown out of that, amen. amen. I think that we, we know at this stage of our development that Jesus is the reason for the season. Amen? And it has nothing to do with the gifts. When you, actually, when you think about it, I don't know any birthday that I've ever attended, birthday celebration that I ever attended, where the expectation when I got there was that I was going to be the one to receive the gifts. When you typically you go to somebody else's birthday... You bring a gift. You don't go with the expectation of receiving a gift. You, you receive joy from the fellowship and the relationship and being able to be a part, but the world is so twisted what Christmas is about. Even from our youth, we've been trained that on Christmas morning or uh, on Christmas evening at the break of midnight, whatever your you know, certain tradition may be, is that you're going to run down some stairs or come around a corner or come up some stairs or come across the room or whatever, and there's going to be something under the Christmas tree for you. But what if there was no Christmas tree? What if there were no presents under the tree? What if, as Jocelyn was ministering, what if you received absolutely nothing? this year? Does Christmas take on a new meaning for you? Does this become the Christmas of sorrow because you didn't get something? Amen? The joy of the Lord is our strength. And we, we can sing and we can say that all I want is Jesus. And if I have Jesus, everything's okay. But real talk, 
taking those words and making them life in you is sometimes very difficult. Oftentimes we say something from the position of having things, but can you say them from the position of having nothing? Losing everything. Can you really stand and have a smile on your face when your marriage is falling apart? When your children are on the way to the hospital or to the jail, can you still stand there and really stand upon your faith and your belief that the joy of the Lord is your strength, that this turmoil, this crisis, this chaos will not break you? Your financial struggle, your emotional struggle, your mental struggle, whatever it may be, can we stand upon the promises of God, which are yes and amen, and really keep our joy? Real talk, your humanity would argue with your spiritual profession. Amen? You know, they, they have a saying in the, in the world, happy wife, happy life. And how true that can be for many of us. Amen. Because when mama's not happy, ain't nobody happy. And if mama think you happy, she will ensure you don't stay happy because misery enjoys company amen but I'm thankful to God because when when you really begin to take an assessment of who you are and how you are and the things that are really a priority in your life and you begin to line up the things according to God's word and his will your outlook on life can be completely different. Which leads me to what I want to talk to you about today. I think we have, and, and this, I'm, I'm not verifying this number, but it, it's going to be very close to this number, if not more. I think we have 196 homicides in the city of Columbus. For this year, it's, um, you think about the size of Columbus, and you, um, as they rate crime in cities, Columbus has a very high per capita crime rate and homicide rate, equal to some of um, the more famous cities for homicides. Not to disparage any other city in this nation, but when you thought about homicides, you didn't think about the city of Columbus. When you thought about cows, you thought about Columbus. Not homicides. Just, uh, I think it was a week, within a week, we had a targeted homicide that took the life of a young man in his low, young 20s, and two small children that were in the vehicle with him. 
targeted, a targeted attack that took the lives of three people. There are three people now, or there are, are many people that are associated with those three people that are struggling with joy right now. They're struggling with peace right now. In fact, if you would ask them, I'm sure they may express a certain level of turmoil. Because it's a word that accurately describes the present day in which we live. Turmoil is no longer a foreign term. You think about turmoil, you used to think that it was somebody else or it was going to be something that really did not settle near you. But here we have tragic school shooting after tragic school shooting, mass casualty events, concerts, special sporting events, safety forces killed in the line of duty, our children being killed in the street, and any other number of tragic occurrences. We can't seem to get through a week without hearing new reports of devastation and carnage somewhere, and unfortunately, it's too often within our own local landscape. But this is Christmas. This is the Christmas season. This is, this is the week. We're gearing up for this week. We're getting, this is the time of joy and, and jubilee and celebration. But when you look around, all you see is war, terrorism, and crime. Closer to home, we often see conflict in our own churches through socioeconomic and denominational or even racial divides. We can't even get along with each other. Sometimes turmoil appears in our work situation simply because we get overwhelmed trying to meet somebody else's needs or demands, trying to fulfill the expectation of others placed upon us. Our homes are filled with turmoil. This is evidenced by the divorce rate and the broken family rate. Many couples today, to be honest, seem to have been married by the Secretary of Defense rather than the Justice of Peace, which has created a battleground where arguments and misunderstandings and neglect and even physical, emotional abuse quite too often take place to be followed by sorry to begin again. Yet the worst turmoil of all takes place in our own soul. This happens when you can't seem to live with yourself. When your own pain, your own anxiety, your own level of depression, your own regret begin to eat up at you, leaving you with an unsettled ache, an itch, that no matter how many times you scratch it, it just won't go away. You're at war within yourself. You feel like you're falling apart from the inside out. Whether it's in the heart, the home, the church, or even our broader society, turmoil appears 
to rule the day. It threatens the structures of normalcy to the point where we've coined the phrase, a new normal. It burdens our emotions, it cripples our finances, and it is attacking our ability to cope with the pressure that we are all under. You may get a better sense of what I'm saying if I replace the word turmoil with drama. We live in a world of unending drama. Our lives are full of drama. Our own and even the drama of people we like and don't like. We don't desire this drama, but once it's here, we're not quite sure how to get rid of it. Things seem to have gotten so bad for so many people that clinical depression and other emotional disorders have become the prognosis, and they're on the rise within the life of people as people search for a way to escape even life itself. Someone to numb the pain, someone to remove the anguish and discover some momentary peace. If I can just get a Calgon hour in the shower. You know, Calgon would take it away. That was the promise of Calgon. If you just dumped a couple of the Calgon uh, pellets in the water, it was going to take you to your oasis of peace. Even though we may experience drama and turmoil on so many levels in our contemporary world, turmoil, drama is nothing new. The search for peace and tranquility is not something that has begun in our generation, but it has spanned the ages and it has touched every culture, every ethnicity, and every people. I want to talk to you today about the need for calm and security and stability, which can only be found in the name of God, Yehovah Shalom, Amen. which means the Lord is peace. Amen. Many places in scriptures could serve as the backdrop for our understanding of God as the Lord of peace, but I want to look at the only place that the name Yehovah Shalom actually appears in the word of God, and it is found in the book of Judges. You know that I am very big on making sure that we keep everything in life within context because anything taken out of context takes on new meanings. So understanding the context of Judges helps us to comprehend the meaning of this name, Yehovah Shalom. You see, the book that comes before Judges is the book Joshua. And it tells the story of Joshua leading the Israelites into the promised land. But I want you to understand something, people of God, that you can be standing in the land of promise and still experience drama. You see, Israel had been delivered into their destiny, yet they faced chaos in the land. See, evidently, according to the word of God, you can arrive at the place that God has for you and still be filled with turmoil. Yeah. 
the book of Judges is what we would call a cyclical book. It's a book of patterns. It's a book that identifies a pattern that repeated itself over and over again related to the Israel people. You see, the Israelites rebelled against God through sin. Their sin led them to their punishment. That punishment and discipline drove them to a place of repentance. And that place of repentance urged God to bring deliverance. This succession is fairly straightforward in Judges. Sin, punishment, repentance, deliverance. Over and over and over again, we see it. We continue to discover that the name Yehovah Shalom as Israel is caught in this very cyclical sequence of events. Turn with me in the word of God to the sixth chapter of the book of Judges. I'll read the first and second verse. Then the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hands of, the, of Midian seven years. The power of Midian prevailed against them. I want you to understand the, something first and foremost. You can be seated. Thank you. Uh, first and foremost, this text is not dealing with those outside the family of God, but dealing with those in the family of God. The sons of Israel, he's talking about God's people. That means he's talking about each and every one of us. Now, Israel had once again rebelled against God, and the result was enslavement to the very enemy that they were supposed to triumph over. You see, God had told them that he was sending them into the promised land where they could expect to have victory over every enemy that was in the land. Yet, as it turns out, due to their own disobedience, the enemies that they were supposed to defeat were actually defeating them. You see, the tables had turned because Israel rebelled against God by doing evil in his sight. And as a result, he allowed their enemies to triumph over them. So the principle then becomes very clear. Disobedience disrupts peace. Disobedience disrupts peace. If you're looking for points in, or bullet points to write down, disobedience disrupts peace. Isaiah 57, 20 through 21 says, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. But watch this. Obedience brings peace. Disobedience disrupts your peace. Obedience introduces peace into the equation. Isaiah 48 and 18. Oh, that thou hast hearkened to my commandments, then had thy peace been as a river and thy righteousness as the ways of the sea. You see, peace will accompany righteousness. Hebrews 7 and 2. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. James 3 and 18 says, and the fruit of righteousness is what? Sown in peace of them that make peace. 
So one of our biggest misconceptions about our personal promised land is that we will often have no challenges when we get there. We do this all the time. If we have problems while we're dating, we just need to get married. That's going to make it all better. Because when, when we're married, you know, that's what we ultimately want, and it's just going to, everything's going to be good. Problems are going to go away. I'm going to get what I want. She's going to get what she wants. Amen? This is the way we think, only to find out the problems don't go away. They intensify. In some cases, they get worse. See, the truth is, you can be in the promise of God and at the same time be outside the will of God. You can be where you're supposed to be. You see, the world wants you to think that you are always in the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing, and that's why bad stuff happened. Honey, I'm here to tell you, you can be in the right place at the right time, and stuff still can happen. You can be right where you're supposed to be, yet still function outside of God's ordained plan for you. You see, reaching your destiny does not fulfill your destiny. Getting there is only part of the journey. Your destiny includes your heart, your mental ascent, your theology, your thinking, and your behavior, the actions that you take while in your destination. You can reach your goal and yet remain defeated simply because you've taken your eyes off of God. And this is the situation that Israel finds themselves in. The Midianites are the enemies of God, yet God allowed them to hold his people hostage for seven long years. Year after year, the Israelites faced defeat after defeat. It became so bad that they had to run and hide for protection, Judges 6 and 2. Because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. In fact, the Midianites made the Israelites do more than just hide. They made them hungry, discouraged, and stripped of resource. This is what the Bible says. So they, the Midianites, would camp against them, that's the Israelites, and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come in like locusts for number, but they and their camels were innumerable and they came into the land to devastate it. Judges 6, 4, and 5. In other words... There were so many Midianites coming against the Israelites that they seemed like locusts. They couldn't even be counted. They overran the crops of Israel. They devastated the farmland. They undid years' worth of planting and toiling and cultivating in a very short time. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of God. So he removed his protective hand from them and allowed the Midianites to take control. Now, you have to understand something. The Midianites did not overcome Israel in their own power, but they did so 
because God allowed it. God let them bring his people low as a consequence of his people's rebellious action against him. In other words, he let them hit rock bottom. You see, sometimes God will let us hit rock bottom because we've walked away from him in our heart. Some of us have walked away from him in our behavior. Some of us have walked away from him in our thinking. Some of us have walked away from him in our speech. And as a result, the Israelites eventually did what God had hoped for. They remembered him. When you're going through something in your life, and you're trying to figure out how in the world you got where you are, and you take an honest assessment of yourself, your situation, remember the Lord, Judges 6 and 6. So Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the sons of Israel cried to the Lord. God wants you to lean on him. God wants you to trust him. He doesn't want you to trust anybody else. He wants you to trust him. You see, often people will cry out to God only when they're seriously in trouble. You see, when you're in trouble, your prayers are no longer cute religious rituals. They aren't, you know, reciting Bible verses that you've learned throughout the years trying to sound religiously educated. They're not spiritual serendipities anymore. When you're going through, your prayers aren't, Father, now lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Your prayers aren't like that when you're in a place of brokenness. To be honest, if you're going to be honest, and I'll just talk about me. There have been moments in my life where my prayer was, God, I don't want to wake. Because Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And it is far better to be with you than to be here. Brokenness. Dealing with great struggle, turmoil, will lead you to call out to God and be honest with him. Communication with him becomes more than going through the motions. And God recognizes this. And he responds to this. You see, let me just read, let me just read the word. 
Judges 6, 7 through 10, it says this. Now it came about when the sons of Israel cried to the Lord on account of Midian, that the Lord sent a prophet to the sons of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, It was I who brought you up from Egypt and brought you out from the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hands of all of your oppressors and disposed them before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not obeyed me. You see, here God reminds his people that he was the one that saved them, that delivered them, that sustained them, that protected them, that released them. Yet despite his gentle hand, they turned away from him and adopted the culture of foreign gods. You see, the Old Testament refers to this as idolatry. We have idolatry in our own lives today. Anything that we make more prevalent or more important to us than God is an idol. The New Testament often refers to it as worldliness. You see, worldliness is conformity to the God of culture rather than to the one true God. I think many of us, though I am not coming against giving presents or having a Christmas tree, I don't hear that in the spirit. I don't think that it's necessary. I know there's a, there's a move now to not have Christmas trees in your house, to not decorate and all that kind of stuff. And I think that that's just the pendulum the other direction. But we have fallen into a place where we forgot the reason for what we are even celebrating. And we've turned the celebration about, each, about God into a celebration about each other. This is why the day after Christmas is a huge shopping day. Because when you didn't get what you wanted or what you got you didn't like, you go back to the store to switch it out for what you really wanted because Christmas is all about you. It's, it's about what I want. That this is the culture in which we live. This is how we've been grown. We've been trained this way. You see, an idol is never just a tree stump or a cow or some piece of metal. An idol is that thing that you ultimately count on for your provision, your direction, and your satisfaction. Amen. You see, the Israelites had stopped looking to God as the one who made the universe. Instead, they had added him to their collection of gods. They hadn't given up their religion. God was still there. He was just a part of the equation. They had just dropped him into a plethora of deities to whom they appealed. The Israelites had neglected to realize that God, who was good enough and powerful enough to get them out of Egypt, could also sustain them while they were in the land of promise. They did what many of us do without thinking. You see, too many of us 
worship the one true God on Sunday, but on Monday we worship something else. It could be money, it could be prestige, it could be fame, it could be comfort, it could be relationships, it could be satisfying the deeds of the flesh, uh, it could be ourselves, any of these things that supersedes God's demand and dictate over our life. Its voice becomes louder than his. We begin to doubt that the one who redeemed us and rescued us is big enough to sustain us or to satisfy us. You see, this was the situation that Israel was dealing with. They had become like our culture today. They wanted to be like Mike. They wanted to be like the Amorites and the Hittites. Thus, God turned them over to those who sought to dominate them. And as a result, the prophet informed them that their present turmoil wasn't a social problem. It wasn't a political problem. It wasn't a financial problem. It was their spiritual problem, which resulted from the departure of relationship with God. It was the mystery of lawlessness, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 7. It was the mystery of lawlessness. You see, God had allowed them to get so low that he became their only option. And sometimes God will let the same things happen to us if we're turning our backs on him. He lets us go so low that we will know he is our only way back up. He will allow us to go so low that he is the only one that can pull us up. The Israelites, they cried out to God because they were in a mess. How many of you have cried out to God because you're in a mess? Some of you were crying before you got here this morning because you're in a mess. So the Lord sent an angel to a young man named Gideon. And as the angel of the Lord sat beneath the oak tree, Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites so that they would not take it from him. And you see, no one separates chaff from wheat in a wine press. A wine press is where people make what? Wine, not wheat. Yet this is where Gideon chooses to do his chore because he was trying to survive. He was attempting to do the best that he could in a difficult situation, and he felt that the Midianites would be less likely to discover his wheat if he was using a wine press. You see, in this storyline of Israel's struggle to survive, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and tells him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Judges 6 and 12. I want you to look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Have you ever had someone see something in you before you did? Maybe it was a parent, a teacher, a mentor, a spouse, or a friend. Maybe it's your enemy. But they saw a talent, a skill, some ability in you that you didn't even know you had. And they told you about it. It's nice when that happens because you are empowered to live up to their expectation. You rise to a higher level simply because somebody believes in you. Well, the angel of the Lord addressed Gideon as a valiant warrior, yet Gideon had fought no battles, 
He had won no wars. And in fact, he was hiding out in a wine press just trying to survive. Still, God himself believed in Gideon and sent the angel to let him know that he believed in him. You see, Gideon demonstrates a doubtful response that echoes our own when we hear God's plan for our lives and the promises that God holds for us and our future. You see, Gideon does what we do. He questioned God. Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian, Judges 6 and 13. You see, Gideon wants to know if God is for him, then where is he? How many of you ask God that question? We can say it better. God, I know what you did in the past. But what are you doing in my present? You know, we, we live this experience out. We live this experience out in our daily lives, in our thinking. What have you done for me lately? And lately is not a past statement. It is actually a present statement. It's lately is not what did you do for me yesterday. It's what are you doing for me right now? Like God, like, like right now. Yeah, I know you, you, you hooked it up a year ago. I know you gave me the man or the woman of my dreams years ago. But I don't like them much today. And they don't like me much today. So what are you doing for us Right now, this is, what, this is what Gideon is saying. You see, when you're in relationship with God, you can be real with God. You are not going to offend God by being real with him. You're a God that does miracles. If you're a miracle-working God, why is there such a mess? You see, it's not enough for Gideon to hear that God is the wheel in the middle of a wheel. It's not enough for Gideon to hear that God is a way maker. It's not enough for, me, for Gideon to hear that God is the rose of Sharon or the balm in Gilead. All of that sounds wonderful. We hear it in church all the time. That's typically the high point of a sermon to get you emotionally charged to only leave empty because there was no context to the sermon. You see, all of this is nice when there's no drama. But many of us are like Gideon. You see, Gideon didn't need a rose of Sharon. He didn't need a balm in Gilead. He needed a rose of Gideon and a balm of the Israelites. 
He, he needed more than just a church service. He needed more than just a three-point sermon. He needed more than just an emotionally charged song as evidenced by his accusation. But now the Lord has abandoned us. You see, what Gideon needed, what we need is God. You know, that ever-present. God, that God that will never leave you nor forsake you, that God that said he'd always be there for you. This is what we needed. This is what he needed. And the amazing thing is God needed Gideon. You see, the plan to deliver Israel from the Midianites was going to be orchestrated through Gideon. Now, of course, God could have raised up anyone or even delivered Israel through no person at all, but in this particular case, God chose to throw his eggs in this basket hidden in a wine press. You see, Gideon said, the Lord looked at him and said, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? Now, I want you to look at this response that Gideon gives because it gives us a special insight into his own view of himself. He says this in, in Judges 6 and 15. He said to him, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. You see, basically, Gideon let God know he wasn't all that. In fact, he was telling God that he, Gideon, was insignificant. He didn't have a diploma. He didn't carry a degree. He didn't have a high-paying job. He didn't have a title before his name or letters that no one really knows what they mean after his name. You see, Gideon hadn't been born with a silver spoon in his mouth. But then again, maybe that's why God chose him. Because God often calls the ordinary to do extraordinary things. This is because the ordinary man or woman knows that he or she can't do it alone. And this is demonstrated by Gideon's next uh, request. When you look at stories in the Bible, now you, it's hard to, to misrepresent David when David faces Goliath. We talked about him the other week. It's hard to misrepresent him because the Bible gives you a, a good physical description of David. But there was another man that I believe is misrepresented in, in, in the movies, and that's Samson. You see, they would have you to believe that Samson was, you know, that he looked like the rock. That he was a, a combination of uh, Lou Ferrigno, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the rock, and Vin Diesel, all wrapped up into one massive specimen of human man. But I believe that he was just as Poultry looking as I am sometimes. 
He may have had a dad bod. He may have had a couple of extra warming cells for the winter months. Because when you see someone that looks like me kill thousands, you know it ain't me. You know it's the Lord. But this is what Gideon's next request is. He says this. He says, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Judges 6 and 17. You see, Gideon gathers some meat and some unleavened bread along with some broth. He makes a stew and he sets it in front of the angel of the Lord. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. And when Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. The Lord said to him, Peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it, The Lord is Peace, Yehovah Shalom. So what is peace? We spend a lot of time talking about the turmoil and the trouble and our inadequacy to deal with it and even our failed uh, attempts to deal with it. But what is peace? We can begin to answer that question by saying what peace is not. Peace is not a truce or a ceasefire. You see, a lot of people in a ceasefire live in what we refer to in our day as a cold war. They may not be lobbing bombs at each other right now. They may not be fighting or cussing each other out right now, but that doesn't mean that they're talking to each other either. Unfortunately, too many people equate a cold war with peace when it's merely a truce. You see, peace is bigger then calm. Here's another bullet point for you. Peace is bigger than calm. You see, the word shalom means wholeness, completeness, or well-being. It means having things properly aligned and in order. Or as we say today, peace means no more drama from your mama. It means harmony and balance. It means more than just feeling good at any particular moment. It even means more than just being happy. Peace really eclipses my happiness. You see, happiness depends on what happens. That's why it's happiness, because it depends on what happens. Uh, let me give you an example. Someone could govern your happiness by the information that they share with you. If they gave you enough bad or negative information, they could steal your happiness. Or if they gave you enough believably good information, they could increase your happiness. 
But this is not so with peace because peace is not tied to circumstances. Bullet point, bullet point. Your peace is not tied to your circumstances. Your happiness may be tied to your circumstances. Your happiness may be tied to your circumstances. But your peace is not tied to your circumstances. That's why in Israel, even today, you will hear the greeting shalom despite the nation being in a state of continual war. You see, peace has to do with well-being regardless of your circumstances. You see, I stopped saying irregardless, Jocelyn. Still, still able to learn. A person who is at peace is stable, calm, orderly, and at rest within. There was a, a time when two artists were requisitioned to paint a picture that depicted peace. The one who painted the picture the best would win $250,000. As you can imagine, both painters attempted to paint the finest painting that they could using the greatest of their skill. The first painter set to work by creating a serene portrait of a lake with the sun glistening off of it just at the right angle so that it sparkled across the top of the water. They used the purest blue shade to lay across the top of the water, complementing the blue sky. The artist even added a young girl skipping near the lake with a yellow balloon securely fastened to her wrist. Trees towered gracefully on one side of the lake with birds gathering in the tallest of their branches. And after completing his painting, the painter leaned back and took a deep breath of satisfaction. You see, in his mind, he had portrayed peace and was sure that he was going to win the prize. Now, the second artist had a very different idea in mind when he painted his image. In his painting, the sky was pitch black. Lightning zigzagged through the air in unpredictable movements. This painter also had water, but the waves in his painting roared as if they were somehow awakened from a terrible dream. Trees bent and bowed over, whining in the apparent wind. The painting looked more like a portrait of a disaster zone. But all the way down at the bottom on the left-hand side, just near the very edge of this horrific scene, a little bird stood on a rock. The little bird had its mouth open singing a beautiful song. One faint light shone down on the bird as it sung in spite of the situation all around it. You see, the second painter won the competition. The judges chose him as the winner because he showed the truest manifestation of peace, a sense of well-being that resonates from within despite what's going on all around you. I know that there is all kinds of turmoil going on all around you, but the turmoil that is in play in your surrounding is not what stipulates 
It's not what directs. It's not what orders your peace. You see, being at peace doesn't mean being calm when everything around you is calm. When all is calm, you're supposed to be calm. Being at peace means you're at rest even when everything else seems to be all wrong. Thunder and lightning just might be chasing each of you all around. The wind could be blowing in unexpected ways and and, uh, introducing unpleasant circumstances in your life. Nothing looks right. Nothing uh, looks promising. Nothing tastes right. Nothing smells right. Everything is dark. But in those situations, true peace wins the battle for your soul. This is because the tranquility on the inside eases your mind despite the chaos that's on the outside. Let me tell you what, John, what Jesus said in John 16 and 33. He said this. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Now watch this. In the world, that's your surroundings, that's your circumstances. In the world, you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. You see, oftentimes I've heard people quote this and I hear them add a word that's not in the text. They say, in the world you may have tribulation. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, in the world you have tribulation. The idea that because you are in Christ that somehow you have been transported out of trouble is a fallacy. It's a heresy. It is not biblically correct. Jesus says in the world you have tribulation. But take courage. Because I've overcome the world or I've overcome your tribulation. The idea is that you should expect bad days. You should expect bad weeks. You should expect bad months in this life. In this life, it comes with being on a fallen earth with a fallen humanity and a fallen child of the king. Just uh, Jesus reminds us of what the angel reminded Gideon. Peace isn't defined by our circumstances. It's one thing for the world to be falling apart. It's another thing for you to be falling apart with it. You see, sometimes we cannot control the world. We can't control our surroundings. We can't control people. But we can always control our response to what is going on around us, even when what is going on around us is being perpetuated by those that are closest to us. We can have peace even when we're living in a den of problems. But when we have peace, our problems won't have us. The problem that I see in the body is is you have allowed your problem to have you. Relationships may falter, jobs may cease, health may decline. Uh, You know, the economy could uh, take another dip and turn. But Jesus said, take courage. I've overcome 
all this. What Jesus said over 2,000 years ago was, be at ease. I've overcome Omicron. We're running around stressed out, don't know what's going to happen next, frustrated, angry, trying to hold on to everything that we possibly can that we think is good. And Jesus is saying, hey, take a breath. How do you enter into this name of God, this Yehovah Shalom? Well, let me end it with this. We enter by standing firmly in our faith, which is our connection to Jesus as we see him usher light where there once was darkness. You see, when Jesus overcomes your situation, you overcome your situation just like him, because you are in him. Think about Peter. You walk on water when you focus on Jesus and are not distracted by the wind and the waves. But when you take your eyes off Jesus, your circumstances will cause you to sink. For those who know this name, Yehovah Shalom, it brings about something that eludes so many who face trials today, and that is rest. I talk to a lot of people, and one of the most predominant things I hear people say when I ask them, how are they? They say, I am tired. I'm mentally tired, physically tired, I'm emotionally tired. Tired, I'm intellectually tired, just tired. I can't seem to get rest. I lay down in my bed, try to get rest, and I can't get rest. I can't find. Have, have you ever been in a bed that's guaranteed to make your body so comfortable that you can't help but the rest? You know, they got beds now. I just saw a commercial sleep number, uh, uh, some electronic bed that as you move, it moves. When you get hot, it gets cold. When you get cold, it gets warm. It regulates your temperature. And it does it all without you doing Anything. You just got to lay in it. And if you happen to be a person that likes the zoo to come visit you when you sleep, if you just like to call some of God's creatures to swing by your bedside, this bed will even situate your body so that what's making that wonderful sound aroma that's flowing from your body go away. It'll put you, its promise, in a state of utter rest. 
Do you ever seem to be working harder yet still not finding a way to get everything done? As a matter of fact, if you look at society, there are an innumerable number of gadgets that are supposed to make our lives easier and more carefree. Yet in spite of these gadgets, we often find ourselves burdened with more meetings, more deadlines, and longer to-do lists. Shalom tells us that the secret to victory over the drama of life is only found in him. We find this kind of peace in the presence of Jesus when he declares, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest or peace. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29. If Jesus had called it an eye yoke, we would have downloaded the latest version. You see, Christ's eye yoke brings peace and rest because Jesus is the prince of peace, Isaiah 9 and 6, and he has left his peace with us, John 14 and 27. When you know the word, you begin to know who it is that stands with you and who it is that you stand in. Now, I want you to understand this. Here's your last bullet point. His peace is downloadable. His peace is downloadable. And the way you do this is on your spiritual gadget. You go into your spiritual app store and you click on the button that says abide with him. You see, by wearing Christ's yoke in faith, you find shalom or his sufficiency to will and to work all of God's good pleasure in you and through you regardless of what you're going through. You see, Gideon met Jehovah Shalom in the midst of personal, familial, and national conflict and turmoil you can meet Jehovah Shalom in the middle of your own personal turmoil. Gideon discovered the way to possess inner well-being despite outgoing outer, outside drama, and he did this by simply knowing that the Lord was with him. Knowing the truth and aligning our thoughts with that truth is the most powerful way to experience the peace that God promises you. It's not a denial that the winds are blowing. It's not a denial that the waves are crashing. It's not a denial that you're being tossed to and fro. But it is a statement of fact that everything I'm going through, Jesus has already overcome it. Aligning your thoughts with his truth. You see, too often our thoughts disrupt our peace. And something as simple yet profound as realigning your thought life with the truth 
of any situation can change everything. It can change your outlook. It can change your courage. It can change your trust. In order to transform what you do, you have to first transform what you think. You cannot transform what you do until you transform what you think. You will never find peace until you stop thinking about peace connected to stuff. Peace will elude you. Because real peace is not connected to stuff. It's not connected to circumstances. It's not connected to your finances. It's not connected to him. It's not connected to her. It's not connected to them. It's connected to Jesus. Hallelujah. It's connected to Jesus and Jesus alone. There's some more that I want to say with you, but the time is late. Tune in on Tuesday and I will share it with you. People of God, regardless of anything you are dealing with, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what anyone has done to you, what life has thrown at you. You can still be in a state of rest in the middle of your storm when you keep your eyes focused on Jesus. It does not mean you're not going to experience stuff. It doesn't mean that every time you ask for something, you're going to get it. I asked my wife if there was going to be a Rolex under the tree for me this year. She said, you right. Too often, we connect our peace to the wrong things. And because they're connected to things that fail, heaven and earth shall pass away. But the word shall endure forever. When your peace is connected, The word is Jesus. When your peace is connected to Jesus, you can lose everything. When everything's coming at you, just remember that you stand in the stability of Christ. Let's rest to our feet. Father Lord, in the name of Jesus, first and foremost, we thank you for your grace and truth. We rejoice in this day, for it is the day that you have made. 
Some of us, Father, are hurting. We've let the things of life get the better of us and steal from us our understanding of peace as you detail it in your word. Going through things with people, with places and things. We thank you for the word that you've released into the atmosphere of our heart and our mind, and we ask that for each of us, wherever we are at, that you would allow that word to become crystal clear and begin to minister your grace and your truth in our crisis. To deal with our emotional, our spiritual, our psychological hurt. Sometimes feels like and seems like You've abandoned us, but we know that that is not true and the deceit of our enemy. But Father, if I'm to be honest with you as I talk to you today, sometimes you are difficult to see. Sometimes it feels like you've closed your ears to us, but I know that that's not true. So open our eyes. Open our ears that we might see and that we might hear, that we might know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are here with us. Winter is coming. We know that in the winter months, many things die so that new things can be born. Father, you are our sustainer and our keeper. Keep us in this time of wilderness, in this winter season. Let us find our rest in you, that we would be ready for what's next that we would fulfill your will in the earth. Father, we celebrate the greatest gift that was given to man. That was your birth. You were born of the Virgin Mary. You came into this world that we might have life that we might have it more abundantly. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we say thank you for this, the greatest Christmas present that's ever been given. Thank you that your gift has stood the test of time. And that we have a friend in you. For you said that I am a friend of God. A friend that sticks closer than a brother. I thank you, Father, for your grace and your truth, for your shalom. 
as we move out through this week, continue to keep us, protect us, our hearts, our minds. Allow us to be vessels to carry you everywhere we go. Father, pour yourself out on us, through us, that we might be the change needed in this city to bring order in the face of chaos, to bring order in our homes. Let us exemplify you. Let us less be worried about being right and more be concerned with exemplifying you. Father, we love you. You first loved us. You washed us with your blood. We are now presented to your Father without spot or wrinkle, adorned with garments of righteousness. Let us walk in that truth. Let us live that truth out in our lives. Let our eye remain focused on you. Father, I stand in the authority of your son. Those that are standing in a place of need, I call for your resource to be released. Those that are standing in the place of need because of a physical problem, health in their body, I call for your virtue to be released. Those whose minds have left them, I call for stability and peace to be released. Broken families restored, marriages healed in the name of Jesus. Children covered and safe from the harm that's in our city. Hate stopped in its tracks because we exemplify your love. Use us, Father. Here we are. Send us. Use us for your purpose, for your glory until our work is done. We thank you, Father, in all these things. We thank you for this place for this season, and for what is next to come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Merry Christmas to each and every one of you.